Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Genesis chapter 3. We began last week um, in a series of, of, of talks that we're going to do now, um, probably you know, at least four weeks, somewhere around there, on identity. Identity. Um, I believe this, that any natural uh, identity crisis that we engage in life always stems from a spiritual identity crisis. If you don't correct what's on the inside, you won't get the right fruit on the outside. And a lot of times we, 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 we overemphasize changing the fruit, but we don't work on the root. And if you don't change the, the root, if you don't get things in alignment where it's unseen, where it can't be seen, where it's uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, so to speak, you can alter fruit on the outside for only a period of time. Before you know it, you're going to start bearing the old fruit again. You're going to return to habits, and you're going to return to patterns, and you're going to return to ideas, and you're going to return to ways of thinking that, were, uh, that are not in line with the kingdom of God because we haven't worked on the root system. So we're going to work on the root system, amen? Um, a lot of the identity struggles and the identity challenges that we see in our world um, on multiple levels. I'm not just talking sexuality and gender. Obviously, those things are, pair, are, are, are kind of at the forefront right now. But, but how you identify politically, how do you identify by race, how you identify by money, by privilege, by what side of the tracks you grew up on, by education, anything that we rely on to give us identity that is not in line with the word of God will fail us. It absolutely will. They're not meant to uphold you. They're not meant to be the, the thing upon which we can lean and rely. We learned last week that the enemy comes to disrupt and distort the one thing that God values the most, and that's his word. So last week, we talked about what do you do when truth is challenged? Because this is what I believe. Every identity crisis is embedded in deception. Think about it. An identity crisis doesn't alter who you are. It just alters who you think you are. It's a perception issue. And so where the enemy uh, is working in our lives when it comes, especially to identity, really any topic in the word of God, but especially in identity, he knows he can't alter the reality of who you are. He can't alter the reality that you've been made in the image of God and made in the likeness of God. Uh, he can't alter the, the reality if you're in the kingdom and you're born again that you're now a child and daughter of the living king. He can't alter the identity that you are above and not beneath. He can't alter the, the value and the worth that God has placed on your life. He can't alter the fact that Jesus gave his life while you were uh, dead to sin. Uh, he can't alter those realities, but he can alter their perception. And you alter perception with deception. It's a breakdown of what you see. And so this is where the enemy is working in all of our lives is in the area of deception. We saw right there in verse 1, Genesis chapter 3, that the, the, the serpent shows up and he is the most cunning, shrewd, tricky. So we learn something about his tactics right offhand. This is the introduction of the devil. This is the introduction of the enemy. This is the introduction of Satan. 
And it tells us right offhand how he operates. That, that's an indicator. That's probably pretty important. I, I need to know how he operates. We know that he doesn't stand for anything that God stands for, but yet we see people fall pray to it all the time. We know that he has no alignment with the word of God whatsoever, but yet he fall, but yet we give in to these tactics every time because we're not recognizing the deceptive nature of how the enemy introduces himself. And you end up in an identity crisis because you give way to deception. And so we said this, that uh, the enemy wants to ask questions where God has given a command, where God has declared something the enemy questions something. Where God has put a period, the enemy replaces it with a question mark. So the very first thing that we see in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And this is what he says to the woman. Has God indeed said, that's a question, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So we have a statement then he's turned it into a question. Instead of God has said, we start asking, has God said? And so we saw that when the enemy begins to introduce these challenges and these questions, we find ourselves asking questions to obvious things. We made this statement last week that the truth of God's word is both obvious and simultaneously mysterious. It's only mysterious when we don't align with the obvious. It's only mysterious when we don't accept the obvious. And we see that happening today. We're asking questions on things that used to be common sense. We're asking questions today on things that used to be, you know, easily received. We're, we're challenging the, the obvious. And sometimes we find ourselves at, why are we asking this question? Well, we introduced a challenging or a questioning somewhere along the line. This is a very simple statement. This is not a, a difficult thing that he's asking of the woman. And, and, and this is how the enemy wants us to begin to misalign our lives with God's word and come out of alignment and come out of God because there's no purpose, there's no provision, there's no power in a word that we do not keep. It's not a question of will the word work for you. It's a question of will you work the word. We know that God's word produces results. We know that it's life. We know that it's power. We know that it, 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 it provides all the essentials that we need. We have to be people of the word. I've been stressing this, you know, for several weeks now that we've got to get back to being a people of the word. In the word. Not just in a service where someone's preaching the word. I mean, in the word. Not just in a podcast where someone's preaching the word, but in the word. Come on. We've got to get back to being a people of Scripture, people of the Word. And what does the Word say? Today, people know more of what people's opinions are about the Word than what the Word actually says. You can quote me, pastors and teachers and, and, and podcasts, but can you quote the Word? Because I'm not going to be the one that's going to stand before a demon and he's going to say, in whose name are you preaching? I'm going to say, in the name of so-and-so. I'm going to say, in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of Jesus whom so-and-so preaches. Come on now. I need to know the word for myself. Because we see here, that's the number one thing the enemy's coming to challenge. Has God 
said. I want you to know, you know, we obviously know the temptation that comes later. To eat what? Eat the fruit of the tree. It's always funny asking easy questions to people in church because you're afraid to get it wrong. It's not a trick question. He's tempting them to eat the fruit of the tree. But I want to, uh, 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 you know, I, I want you to see actually another temptation. There was a temptation before that temptation. That was the second temptation. The first temptation is showing up right here in verse one. The first temptation was not to eat the fruit of the tree. The first temptation was to question God. That was the first temptation. And because they gave way to the first temptation, it led to the second temptation. See, the things that we entertained are are more powerful than we think they are. The things that we engage in, it seems, um, you know, innocent in the moment. It seems, you know, I mean, you know, even Eve in the moment, she's not responding to the devil in malice. She's not responding to the devil because she's seriously interested in what this serpent, this snake has to say. And maybe I need to weigh that against what, but, but at the end of the day, she entertains where she should have just been uh, more deliberate and more intentional with her response. And how we respond to these temptations determines where we end up. You're saying, how does, what, how does this all tie into identity? We're going to get there. But the first temptation was not to eat the fruit. The first temptation was to challenge God and to question what God said. There are uh, several things that the enemy does when he's challenging this. Number one, he's challenging who God is. He's challenging the person of God, the identity of God. Who God is. Notice this in verse 1. Go back and put verse 1 back up there. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, watch this, which the Lord God had made. Y'all see that? Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God? That's different than Lord God. Now he just reduced God to the creator of the universe, but removed the relationship of God with man. Lord establishes the relationship between God and man. And he's just removed that from the equation. Has the creator said? He's reduced God to merely the creator that put us here, but there's really no establishment of relationship that, that, that keeps you from violating his word or keeps you from thinking that he has your best interest at heart. He's just removed the relationship factor. See, when I don't know who God is, then I'll question everything else that comes after that. If the enemy can get God to doubt his identity to me, if the enemy can get me to think that God is just some, some, some masterful person up in heaven that, that is just orchestrating this thing, but isn't really my Lord, come on, we need people that recognize Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Savior is what Jesus did, but Lord is who Jesus is. There's a difference. 
And some people have only accepted Jesus merely as a savior, someone that has saved them, someone that that has given them access into heaven and freedom from hell, but nothing more than that. And Lord means owner. Lord means provider. Lord means I call the shots and I've got your best interest at heart. Follow me and you'll watch. You'll see everything in your life be put into place. That's what a Lord does. But you see right there, the Lord God made all these things. And that's how God wanted himself to be uh, in relationship with man. But the enemy comes in and says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree. Of course, the second thing that he challenges, he challenges who God is. Secondly, he challenges what God said, his words. Now he's not just challenging his identity, he's challenging his communication. In essence, he's implying that maybe God lied. He's implying the value. he's, he's He's trying to get us to devalue the word. He's getting us to lower the value and lower the the intentionality that we have in God's word. Y'all with me? Because if I can question it and challenge it, well, if it was this way, maybe it's not this way. And when we come to identity, there is a this way. We've taken too many alternative paths. We've, We've gone down too many different roads when it comes to identity. And God wants that to be the most secure thing that you and I have. But see, if I start questioning God's word, I mean, you know, we, we say it all the time. God's word is infallible. God's word it cannot be altered. God's word cannot be changed. God is not a man that he should lie, right? But if he's lied about one thing, guess what? It's all up for debate. It's all up for question. So, yeah, he's starting innocently. But the problem is he's just trying to create a pattern of doubt and unbelief. He's just trying to create a pattern of, well, Am I really healed by his stripes? Am I really the head and not the tail? Has he really prepared a place for me in glory? Has he really given me his spirit? Because guess what? You're going to be in situations and opportunities and environments uh, on the exterior that are going to challenge and question all those things. And we just need to be a people that have a resolve and a resolution about ourselves that his word is final. His word is true. His word cannot be altered. It has to be this way. And if I'm not seeing it on the outside, I'm not moved by that. If I'm not hearing that on the outside, I'm not moved by that. If I don't feel that, I'm not moved by that. His word says this. So he challenges who God is. Is he Lord or is he just some creator? Is he just some higher being? Is he just the big man upstairs? Come on. Then he challenges what God said. And then lastly, maybe the most important, he challenges why God said it. Has God indeed said? His implication is there's something he's not telling you. The implication is he's withholding something. The implication is there's more that he's not telling you. And now we start challenging the nature of God, the character of God. Instead of believing that this is a a Lord God, creator of the universe that also desires to have a personal relationship with us, that has my best interest at heart, now we have already devalued him to the role of 
creator of the universe, some higher being that doesn't always speak the truth and that is not looking out for your best interest and he's withholding something from you. We've, we've altered that all in one statement. We, we've challenged and changed all that by entertaining a conversation where the, the, the devil is trying to move you. See, every temptation is an attempt to get you to violate God's word. That's what temptation is. Temptation is an attempt to get you to come out of alignment with God's word and violate it. The enemy cannot touch you if you do not violate God's word. I heard someone say recently that the enemy cannot touch you if you do not violate God's word. That's an that's, that, that's a indicator you need to be writing that down. I'm gonna, I can show it to you right here in scripture. What does God need to do in this passage to save man in this situation? What else does he need to do? Let me ask it, the, let me ask it this way, because I see, I, see, I see you thinking, you're like, what does he need to do? If Adam and Eve simply obey the command to not, the, to not eat the fruit of the tree, what can the devil do to them? Nothing changes until man violates the word. The temptation's just a temptation. The threat's just a threat. The questioning's just a question. The challenging's just a challenge. Nothing changes until man violates God's word and comes out from under the alignment of what his word said. Do not eat the fruit of the tree. God doesn't have to come, out, come down and do anything. In fact, we've already read that he's already given man authority to rule and reign and, and, and to uh, you know, basically kick Satan out of the garden. Kick this, this serpent out of the garden. He's, he's the one in charge at this point in Genesis chapter 3. God has given man authority and dominion in Genesis chapter 126. We'll look at it here in just a minute. Adam and Eve don't have to cry out to God to come do something about this snake. Come on now. They're not on their hands and knees. Oh, he's just attacking us. He's just beating us down. Oh, we just, we just, want, to, we just want to be free. We're just in such... They're, they're more free than any of us have ever experienced. This is paradise, by the way. This is, there is no sin in the earth yet. This is as good as it gets in two and a half chapters of the Bible. It's not going to get any better than this until the end of the book. There's nothing they need to do. There's nothing God needs to do other than stay in alignment with the word of the king. That's all that needs to happen. So he challenges who God is. He challenges what God said, and he challenges why God said it. Verse two says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we've highlighted this before, we've brought this out before, but this is incorrect. Her response is incorrect. Need to identify this. Her response is, we cannot, uh, we shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And we know in the command in Genesis chapter 2, there was no command given, do not touch it. 
So what does that tell me? There was an altering of God's word. There's an adding to of what God's, God doesn't need any help being added to his word. Let's just go ahead and make that clear. You and I, we don't need to put our spin on it, need to put our interpretation on it, need to add this for clarity's sake. We don't need to do any of that silliness. Let's just take the word at face value. What does the word say and leave it for what it is? Because what this does is it creates a perception. It creates a change. And this is what the enemy's really doing. When he challenges and questions the word, he really wants to know how much you know of it. We, we covered this last week. The devil knows more than you and I do. That might sound like a weird statement, but he does. That's why he can't be saved is because he knows more and still chooses not to respond favorably. He knows more than you, and he's hoping you'll never discover what he knows. He's hoping that you will misappropriate God's word, misalign uh, God's word, uh, not know it true to heart, not have it hidden in your heart so that you might not sin against God. He, he's hoping that he can trip you up somewhere on the word of God, the power of the word, and, and all that God's word provides. He's hoping that you'll never figure out what he already knows. So, the second she made that statement, he said, I got this. The second she responded that way. Why? Because when she goes to touch the fruit and she doesn't die, what do you think's going through her brain? Still alive. So maybe I can eat it. You see what I'm saying? It creates this idea, well, maybe God is a liar. And you start aligning more with the devil's thinking than you do with God's thinking. I'm still talking about identity. But we're, we're talking about how it starts. We're talking about the root of this thing. We're talking about how we end up in guilt and condemnation. We're talking about how we end up in shame. We're talking about how we end up trying to go to people for affirmation and approval. We're talking about how we end up thinking that we're something that we're really not. We're talking about how uh, we're always chasing things to tell us who we are rather than going to God's word and letting God's word define who we are. So she responds. She doesn't respond completely in line with the word of God. And even though it was maybe an innocent response to begin with, it was not a correct response. It's an incorrect statement. Verse 4 says, the serpent said to the woman. Now he's starting to declare stuff. When he realizes that he's got you in a position where you don't know the word as much as you ought to, now he starts making statements. See, when, when he questions, did God really, uh, you know, have you really, uh, when Jesus took his, the stripes on his back, did that really cure you and heal you from all sickness and disease, according to Isaiah? When he gets you to question that, then he begins to make statements like, he put it on you to teach you something. You see the steps that we're taking. You see how we end up 
in the, the faulty theology and the faulty thinking uh, where we end up in a lot of times is because we, number one, don't know the word. When it's challenged and questioned in our life, we fall prey to that. And then we begin to accept the devil's commands and the devil's uh, direction. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In essence, he's saying this, God is lying. There is no consequence for eating the fruit. That's, that's how it is. Now we've got a bold-faced lie. Now we've got an out-and-out lie. Now we've got, now we've got just a, now we're, we're not just dancing around it anymore. Now he's just straight up saying, ah, you won't die. This is how we buy into this stuff. And then he says this in verse five. Now he gives motive. Once he's made the statement, you will not surely die. Let me push this a little further. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a couple of things that happen in this statement. Number, in, in this verse here, verse five, we see that uh, now the devil is introducing this idea that God is withholding something from you. He hasn't given you all the truth. I, I, I know something you don't. And, and I'm telling you right now that he doesn't want you to eat of that tree because if you eat of that tree, he knows that you will get something that he doesn't want you to get. And now you start, see, the tree was off limits. But now you start questioning why it's off limits. Before this, they thought it was off limits for their protection. Now they're starting to confuse protection with withholding. Now they're starting to think, I can't eat of this tree because God is trying to keep something from me. Y'all see what I'm saying? The other thing that's introduced here is I can make my own decisions. So now it's an empowering of the individual to say, you can eat this and here's what you'll get, and you can do this out of alignment with what the king says, with what the creator says. And now it's starting to slip in this idea that the creator, the king, the father, God, doesn't want me to eat of this because he's withholding something, and if I eat of it, I'll become my own person. Well, man, those things are attractive to someone that doesn't know the word. Those things are appealing to someone that doesn't know that your father wants your best, has your best interests at heart. Those things become appealing and desirable. And those things, they, they, they awake something in a person that is not fully aligned with the word of God. This is why complete full alignment is, is always to your advantage, always to your benefit, is absolutely necessary in your life. At the end of the day, the, the enemy is looking for people that don't know the word. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's praying on. That's what he's, he's hoping you will never discover. And so, look at the things that he suggests here in verse 5. You will, uh, this is what he says, when you eat of it, he says three things. Your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, and you will know good and evil. Your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, and you will know good and evil. I want to hone in on the one, you will be like God. 
Now, that is an interesting thing to offer. That's an interesting thing to suggest to someone that is already like God. I'll say that again. That is an interesting thing to suggest that they will gain something they already have. You will be like God. Well, let's flip over to Genesis chapter one. Let's keep our finger there in Genesis chapter three. Flip over to Genesis chapter one. And this is where we're gonna start to hone in on the identity aspect. We understand that identity crises, they always begin with a level of deception. It's not altering reality, it's just altering your perception of reality. You can say you identify as whatever you want to identify as, but it doesn't alter who you really are. Now, you can act like it, you can talk like it, you can bark like it, you can quack like it, but it ain't going to make you a a duck, it ain't going to make you a dog. Come on now. There's a few things we're going to see here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Number, uh, uh, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, let's just stop right there for a minute. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's pretty simple. That's pretty straightforward. Every man and woman on the planet was created in the image of God, to bear the image of God, and to function like God. The word likeness does not speak to image. It doesn't speak to what you look like. It speaks to how you operate, how you function. And so everything God was, he distributes and puts into mankind. So again, I say it's pretty interesting that the enemy would suggest that you could become more like God when in essence, guys, Adam and Eve could not be any more like God than they were already. You need to get this. Because when we get over to being born again and taking on the new nature, the same principles are going to apply. Because there's a lot of Christians still trying to be something they already are. Because the enemy's tricked you. He's deceived you. He's gotten you to question it. And he's gotten you to challenge it. And he's gotten you to disbelieve. And he's gotten you to doubt God's word and the character of God's word and who God is. And so we start acting like something we're not. We start acting like sinners when we're really believers. Oh, come on. We start acting condemned when you've been saved and redeemed. We start acting sick when you've already been healed. You start acting bound even though you've been delivered. Come on. We've altered the perception of reality even though it doesn't alter the reality. The enemy doesn't care about that. He doesn't care if he alters who you are. He just hopes you never figure out who you are and you keep acting like what you were. And so the irony of this whole thing is he is suggesting to them that they could be something or become something that they already are. More like God. And then think about that. You would think that an attack of the devil 
He would want you to be less like God. I mean, that's how my brain works. I don't want them to be more like God. I don't want to draw them closer to God. I want to draw them away from God. Isn't that interesting? That maybe the way the enemy is operating in our lives is not by the introduction of just outright blatant sin and outright blatant walking away from the word, but maybe the deception of the enemy is trying to get us to achieve something we already are through a different means and avenue than what God has already supplied. And I would, I, I, I would suggest to you today that this was the institution of religion. Pastor Martin, this was the institution of religion because we've been trying to do this religious activity ever since Genesis chapter three, striving and making natural efforts to become something that God has already supplied through his son, Jesus Christ, in us. Trying to gain something I already have. Trying to become something I already am. Trying to be someone I already am. Trying to do stuff that, on my own that God is actually wants to provide and he wants to give us the means to become and he wants to give us the rights to our childhood and to our birth and, and, and to our, 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 our sonship in the kingdom of God. And now religious activity has been instituted. And now we've got Adam and Eve trying to become something they already were all along. How? Because I don't know the word. Now I want to take a little detour right here. And, and, and I had someone this past Wednesday bring this up. And I said, yeah, I, I got I to gotta bring that out. They reminded me that at the point of time when God gave the command, do not eat the fruit of the tree, Adam wasn't even in existence yet. I'm sorry, Eve wasn't even in existence yet. Eve was not even in existence yet. The word was given to Adam and to Adam alone. Now, who did the serpent come to? Eve. A couple things happen here. Number one, the enemy is proving his tactic that he will always circumvent the higher authority and the higher leadership. He's, he's doing it in homes today. Now he's even gone down to children. He'll circumvent the pastors to get to the kids. He'll, uh, he'll, he'll circumvent, circumvent the parents to get to the kids. He'll circumvent pastors to get to the leadership and to the members, to the congregations. He always wants to go to the second in command. <laughs> He's still doing that today. The second thing that we see is that it was Adam's responsibility to translate and convey that message down to his wife, Eve. And he failed somewhere along the line. This isn't a man and woman thing. This is a husband and wife thing. This is a leader thing. And this is, a under, this is an understanding that we have a responsibility to convey it to those that God has given us authority over and to convey it in the same way that God said it. As the messengers, we don't get to alter the word of God. Somewhere along the line, Eve got this idea, if I don't touch it, 
Somewhere along the line, Eve got this idea, I can entertain these, this questioning and this challenging of authority. And that's on Adam. That's a failure on Adam. All right? So we want to keep on going here. Y'all doing all right? So we see that God created man in his image, in his likeness. Creates, uh, uh, gives them all the ability to do exactly what he's called them to do. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 26, let's get back there again, says this. So he creates man in his image, and his likeness, and he says this, let them have dominion. Now, this is why identity is so important. Because um, I, I, I can't remember exactly how I put it. Let me see if I can put it together the way I had put it together before. If, if you have an identity crisis, everything else will become a crisis. If you have an identity crisis, everything else will become a crisis. What do I mean by that? First, before God told man what to do, he told him who he was. You see that? The first thing God gave to man was, I'm creating you in my image and in my likeness. Right after that says what? Let them have dominion. And let them rule, let them reign, let them govern, let them manage. Meaning, if I don't get the identity part right, I'm going to get the authority part wrong. If I don't get who I am right, then I'm going to get what I'm supposed to do wrong. Y'all with me? One leads to the other. Now, of course, we live in a world today that tells you you are defined by what you do. So we have we've changed the order of this. The world says, find out what to do, and that will determine who you are. And look at people today chasing everything but their identity from their creator and from their manufacturer. So, if we don't solve the identity crisis, everything else will become a crisis. What I'm supposed to do? Who who I'm supposed to be with? What's the community and circle of group that I'm supposed to be around? I mean, everything falls, falls out of alignment when we don't correct the identity issue. When I get identity wrong. And so, honestly, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan isn't tempting Eve with fruit. He's tempting Eve with identity. The fruit's just but a representation of what she's really chasing. And it goes on to say in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so what's that? Now she's starting to entertain it. Now she's starting to look at it. And she's not looking at a piece of fruit. She's looking at what the fruit represents. She's not looking at an apple, guys. She's looking at my eyes will be opened. I'll be more like God. And I'll know good and evil. She's looking at, I can be my own God. She's looking at, maybe God's character and nature isn't at my best interest. She's looking at, maybe there's something he's keeping from me. She's looking at, maybe he's not protecting me. Maybe he's withholding something from me. Maybe he's got something that he doesn't want me to find out. She's challenging and questioning the nature of God. She's challenging and questioning his identity. She's challenging and questioning his, his, his uh, word. She's challenging and questioning his purpose and his motives. 
all with this, she sees that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Now, I'm not a fruit person. That's a going joke. I don't eat fruit, and I really don't. I don't eat fruit. If I was in the garden, we'd all still be here today. <laughs> that wouldn't work for me. You'd have to tempt me with a cow or something. You can't tempt me with fruit. But I don't know there's ever been a piece of fruit on this planet that's looked that good to provide all those things. We're not talking about fruit. We're talking about what the fruit represents. Desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. And he ate. It says in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, from the, uh, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Notice every time it says Lord of God. They heard the sound of the Lord God. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Then the Lord God. The devil's the only one that used just God. The Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Isn't it interesting that this all began with a question and now it all ends with a question? We made this statement last week. We said that when the devil asks questions, it's in an attempt to distort and hide truth. But God will also ask questions. This is a tale of two questions. God's now asking a question, where are you? Now, you know this as well as I do. God doesn't ask questions he doesn't already know the answer to. He's not trying to fight them. He's not playing hide and go seek. He's not, you know, uh, you know you, you, you've gotten beyond my sight or beyond my knowing. We know God knows everything. So it's weird that a God would ask questions. But he asks questions so you can find the answer. He's not asking a question for his benefit. He's asking a question for Adam's benefit. When the devil asks questions, he wants to hide the truth. When God asks questions, he wants to reveal the truth. In this moment, this was a moment where he's giving Adam an opportunity, tell me where you messed up. Man, this is why repentance is so important. It's not the fact that we, re, that, that we mess up. It's the fact that we don't respond favorably when we do mess up. Because forgiveness is there for everybody. Anybody that will repent, anybody that will ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all your sins. That's the word of God. And so he's giving Adam an opportunity to identify, to reveal, I messed up, I blew it. And of course, we know that he goes on. In verse 10, he says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded? And then he goes on to the blame game. And it's funny because he doesn't just blame his wife, he blames God. This is the two worst people for a man to blame on this planet. <laughs> he, blamed, he managed to blame the, the two most dangerous 
blames he could ever give. He blamed his wife and he blamed God. The woman that you gave me. I mean, that, you, you know, you're, you're going down the wrong path. But I want to show you today in Luke chapter 4, if you'll turn over there with me. I titled today's uh, message, A Contrast in Conversation. Because what I love about this is the fact that we see a repeat incident of what we just read in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the failure of man, but in Luke chapter 4, we see almost an identical scenario, almost an identical, um, uh, you know, situation where the devil comes with his questioning and challenging and deceptive tactics, hoping that the person he's challenging doesn't know the word as much as he does. In Luke chapter four, we find the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. First off, I want to point out in Luke chapter four and verse one, it says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? Basically, Jesus' first assignment wasn't to go and heal, wasn't to go and and, uh, turn water into wine, wasn't to walk on water, wasn't to multiply food, wasn't to raise the dead or cast out demons, not even go to the cross. His first assignment is to go into a wilderness, fast for 40 days, and be tempted by the devil. But here's what I want you to know today, that not every conflict you end up in is for your punishment or because you did something wrong. Sometimes you'll end up in conflict intentionally. Sometimes you'll end up in conflict because you're obeying God. Sometimes you'll end up in conflict because you did exactly what he told you to do. And this is what I need you to know. Jesus wasn't sent into that wilderness to be tempted by the devil for his own punishment. He was sent into that wilderness for the devil's punishment. About two of you got it. And sometimes God will send you into conflict to take back something that was stolen. He'll send you into conflict because he knows who you are. He knows that you're armed. He knows that you're dangerous. He knows that you've got all of heaven backing you. He knows that he's God creator and he's not going to let you falter or fail. And you need to go and whip up on some devils and take some stuff back for the kingdom of God. But it's going to take someone's secure and identity to do that. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times the conflict we end up in, the first thing that gets challenged is who we are? I mean, even, even you know, for myself in pastoring, some of, some of the greatest conflict that can try to arise is inferiority, is insecurity. Uh, we were talking to someone the other day and just talking about how the church is growing and God's doing amazing things and it's awesome. And, and, and I made the statement, I said, you know, I'll be honest, you know, the, a, a growing church might have more weights and, and pressures associated with it than, than the church was when there was only 20 to 40 people coming. I remember the days when our entire church would fit right here. And I'm not, I mean, the whole section, I mean, 
right here, the front row. It seems as if the, the further you get into doing things for God, the less you feel comfortable in doing it. And the enemy immediately starts bombarding you with, you don't belong here. You're out of your element. You don't know what you're doing. He starts attacking identity. Anybody with me? Are you going to leave me up here all by myself? You follow God, and it's like, wait, how did I get out here? I'm walking on water right now, man, and now I've gotten out too far from the boat to save me. I'm too far from the shore to save me. I'm, I'm out here in the middle of the water walking on this thing, walking on a word, walking on a promise. Come on. And then things start showing up in your life, start challenging you, start confronting you. You thought everybody was going to support you, and you start hearing all the naysayers. You start hearing all the people are like, oh, you can't do that. He's attacking identity because he knows if I can get their identity, I can get their purpose. If I can get their identity, I can get their assignment. If I can get their identity, I can get their authority. He knows this, and he knows this because he's done it before he did it in Genesis chapter 3. If I can get them to alter their identity, I'll get them to sacrifice their purpose. If I can get them to question who they are and question who God is and question what God said and question God's motives and question God's nature, then I will get to take everything from them that they were destined to do. You see why this is so costly? You see why this is so valuable. You see why this ought to be guarded and protected with everything that we have. Your identity is the source to all of your authority. And the second you don't see yourself the way God sees you, you start walking in things that cause you to compromise the very purpose by which God would. There are too many believers on this planet compromising their God-given gifts and abilities and assignments because they don't know who they are. It all boils down to, I don't know who I am. You'll never know what to do until you know who you are. But people want it the other way around. Tell me what to do and then I'll know who I am. And God doesn't work that way. Because then you'll gain your identity from what you do rather than him. Then your identity will be how much money you make and how high you can be promoted how high you can be elevated, how many people follow you, how many people are on your team, uh, how many people go to your church, what are the numbers, what's the budget like, what's the property like, do you own this, do you, do you rent this? And you start, we, we, we start devaluing our identity based upon things that God never intended for us to give us identity. And when you replace your identity with something from the natural rather than getting it from God himself. Destiny gets compromised. Purpose is sacrificed. And so Jesus is sent by the Spirit because God, knew, God knows this. I need you to become secure in something before you do anything else. Before you turn water into wine, before you raise a dead person, before you walk on water, before you multiply food, before you cast out demons, before you go to the cross, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. This is a word for someone today. 
The enemy's only chance of victory is if he can get you to question what God said. I'm going to say that again. The enemies, some of us are giving the devil way too much credit for his victories. You've made him out to be way too good at what he does, and he's not. We're empowering him when we violate. We're, we're empowering him. See, the word you don't know will destroy you. My people are destroyed not for a lack of faith, not for a lack of, of armor, not for a lack of peace, not for a lack of, uh, uh, it's my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What you, don't, what you don't know will get you slaughtered. We're watching our students, I've already said it time and time again, we're watching our students graduate from high school, go to universities and get slaughtered because they don't know something. They're getting eaten alive because they don't know. The enemy's only chance of victory in your life is to get you to question what God said. Verse two, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. It took him 40 days to get hungry. That must be amazing. It takes me 40 minutes to get hungry. <laughs> afterward. You know what? I'm pretty hungry. I haven't eaten in about a little over a month. And the devil said to him, here it is, if. Y'all with me? Nick's with me. Slow down, Nick. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God. What's he challenging? Who he is. I mean, I know I'm not the only person in this room that's ever been asked if you are, if you are, if you are a really talented musician, if you really are a good pastor, if you really are a speaker, if you really are a leader, if you really are good at what you do, if you really are, if you are, if you are, if you are. Think about this. Jesus' whole ministry hinges on how he responds to this one statement. If you are. Well, this is interesting because if you keep your finger there in Luke chapter 4 and you just go back really just a few verses in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Look at Luke chapter 3 verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, what did the voice say? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Pleased. So what is the very thing that the devil shows up to ask in verse 3, only a few verses later? If you are the son of God. Man, this is so loaded. And you're telling me he's not coming after your identity. 
He comes to challenge the very thing that God just stated. In fact, the last words out of God's mouth prior to this was, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the next words, other than the spirit leading him into the wilderness, is the devil showing up and challenging the very thing that God just spoke. The Bible says that the enemy comes immediately to steal a word that was preached, the gospel of the kingdom. He's not waiting. Guys, he's challenging what I'm saying right now before you hit those doors, before you get in the parking lot, before you make it home, before you get to Cheddar's and sit and wait for 30 minutes, before you make it where you go. He is challenging what I'm saying immediately. He's not waiting. Why? Because I can't allow that word to take root. I can't allow that word to be planted in good soil. I can't allow that word to be meditated upon and to be, uh, 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 you know, watered and taken care of. I can't allow that word to start to sprout up a little bit. I can't allow that word to start bearing some fruit and giving away fruit and producing fruit. I can't allow what's being sown as a seed. He's plucking it up immediately. Immediately, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you are the son of God, and he's coming to question the very thing and challenge the very thing that God said. We said this last week that every lie is embedded in truth. You can't lie until you have truth. The serpent couldn't show up and say, did he really say you can't eat of the tree until God said, do not eat the fruit of this tree. He couldn't challenge you are the son of God until God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I know any, many of us in this room can give examples of something that God has spoken over you or declared about you or even commanded you to do and the enemy comes immediately to challenge it. He's called you to places. He's called you to people. He's called you to start stuff. <coughs> There's testimonies all over this room I know of. Starting a ministry, starting a business, starting this program, starting this institution. And there becomes a questioning. I need my water. There becomes a questioning. There becomes a challenging. There becomes a a, a doubting. And we said this, that when doubt is allowed to be planted as a seed, it will produce fruit of unbelief and eventually disobedience. You cannot tolerate doubt on any level in your life. But many of us allow the seeds to be planted all the time. Many of us allow those seeds to be planted. And then you start watering them. If I am, am I? Maybe I'm not supposed to. I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have any. Then you begin to justify it. And you begin to reason it out. I'm going to tell you right now, when God calls you to do something, you'll have more reasons why you shouldn't than you should. Abraham had plenty of reasons why he shouldn't be the father of many nations. He had zero reasons why he should be a father of many nations other than the word of God. Come on. Moses had every reason why he should not be delivering people out of the hands of slavery and bringing them into a promised land. 
Those Israelites had every reason in Numbers chapter 13 not to enter the promised land. But they had one good one. God told them to. God said, this is your land. This is your territory. And they listened to the wrong reasons. Y'all doing okay? If you are the son of God. Then he says this, command this stone to become bread. Now, when God realizes that he can't shake you off of your identity, he'll get you to try to prove it, the enemy. When the enemy realizes he can't shake you off your identity, he'll move you to try to prove your identity. This is the second tactic. Prove it. Really, the word if here in the Greek is actually translated since. S-I-N-C-E, since. Since you are the son of God. He already knows this about Jesus. He, I, I'm not gonna be able to shake his identity, but I can try to get him to perform it. And so now you try to produce God's identity in your ability. See, when you're secure in your identity, I don't gotta prove nothing to you. So he, he's basically recognizing, okay, he knows who he is. But how secure in, in it is he? Where is his identity grounded? Is his identity grounded in performance? Is his identity, there was a time toward the end of Jesus's ministry, they were asking him, do a sign, do a wonder, do a miracle. And he, he made the statement, he says, all you people want is a sign and wonder. He said, there will be no sign performed for you. I don't need to perform nothing. I don't need to prove nothing. I just need to be in obedience to, my, to God's word. And this is the thing. If the enemy can't get you shaken off of your identity, then he will get you to act independently of him. And independence in the kingdom of God is the most dangerous word. Independence is the most dangerous word in the kingdom. When you start acting independently, he basically he's trying to see how aligned with God's word is he? Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not following a command of the devil. Exercise your identity. No, when you know who you are, then you exercise your identity out of what God says and what God says only. I don't need to prove anything to you. And the second that I start trying to perform God's identity out of my ability, it won't be long. I'm going to get shaken in other areas of my life. And he doesn't give in. But yet he responds and he says, man shall not live by every word, right? Uh, by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, if you'll surrender to the enemy's questions, it won't be long before you're submitting to his commands. I'll say that again. If you will surrender to his questions, it won't be long before you're submitting to his commands. Questioning what God said will always lead to disobedience. But he refuses. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of of God. Then the devil taking him up on the high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. And he's not wrong. Everything he pointed to had been given to him by Adam and Eve. Therefore, if you will worship me, 
all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, uh, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. All the authority I will give you, where am I at? Four, five, six, all this authority I will give you in their glory. Verse seven, therefore, if you will worship me, worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. Notice what he responds with every time. What? God's word. God's word. Imagine if Eve had responded in such a way. Are you seeing the likeness between these two scenarios? Are you seeing the commonalities? Are you seeing how if Eve would have simply responded with the word, will save you every time. Will save us every time. Honoring God's word will always lead us to obedience. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall believe. He brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. You remember me telling you the devil knows the word? Yep. And, and, and how bold he is to deceive the word with the word, right? Jesus is the word made flesh. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, this is this, I saw this this morning, I was, I was going over this. Jesus defeated the devil in worse circumstances than Adam and Eve had when they lost to the devil. Adam and Eve failed in a garden without sin, and Jesus succeeded in a wilderness with sin in the earth. What's that tell me? That tells me that my, my environment does not dictate my identity. My environment does not dictate if I overcome. My environment does not dictate if I walk in victory. It's what I've got on the inside of me. Jesus, in worse conditions, defeated the devil than what Adam and Eve had in Genesis chapter 3. And guess what? You can defeat him too. You can overcome him too. If you know on the inside who you are. Amen? Worship team, if you'd come. I want to finish this out because I want to show you what was Adam and Eve's response when their identity got challenged and they failed? They hid from God. But let me close this out for you in verse 16. This is after the temptation. It says, he came to Nazareth. Watch this, where he had been brought up. What's that mean? He's with people who know who he is. He's with people who know all about him. You know, if he went to, if he went to 
uh, you know, Jerusalem or he went across the Sea of Galilee or he went into environments where they didn't know who he was and they only knew him as the son of God, the one that's doing all these miracle signs and wonders and ministering and teaching and preaching the way that he does. And that's one thing. But now he's among his own people. He's among his own group. He's among people he was raised with that saw him as a child, that saw him growing up, that saw him, uh, you know, uh, all, all the friends that he had and his family. They knew everything about his natural identity. He comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, meaning he's doing something he's always done. Nothing's different about this. Nothing's, no, no, nothing's off. Nothing's like, what's he doing up there? He doesn't belong in there. He's doing something he's always done in a place he's always done it. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he makes this statement. He began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The contrast is this, that when you respond with the word of God, with you, when you respond with an internal knowing of who you are, not by the world standards, not by what people say, not by what is going on in your environment, not by the challenges you might be facing or the circumstances you might be, when you know who you are because of what God said and you stand up and you boldly stand in your identity, even in the face of the challenging and the questioning, it will create a boldness in who you are. It'll create a knowing in who you are that he could get up and read that passage and say, today, I am the one that the spirit of the Lord is upon. Notice that his assignment was fulfilled when he knew his identity. Notice that now he's in a place he can carry out. If you go on to read this, at the very end of this passage, they want to throw him off the cliff. They want to get rid of him. And even in the face of being rejected by his own people, he still stood in the identity, I am the son of God. I am uh, uh, the most beloved son of God in whom he's well pleased. And no one, no devil in hell can question or challenge who I am. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.